Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. Well, amen and amen. You know, technology is great when it works. And then what we have is a problem at the computer. So I'm going to suggest that you reboot the presentation computer. And I think we have a problem with it sending the signal out. At first, I thought it was up here in this splitter. Um, Greg Walta, I put on the top of the ladder to put that up. He did a fine job in, job in installing. And I see the power lights are on. And so um, I'm diagnosing it as we sit here. And as we reboot the computer, perhaps we have a problem in the video card. And uh, so uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is to focus in. I have the PowerPoint presentation here. I wish you could look over my shoulder and see it. And I have the notes on paper just in case this goes down. And so this is Pentecost Sunday. Amen. This is, a, this is an important day, and I want to preach to you a message entitled Alive, Await, Ablaze, and Effect, all beginning with the letter A on this Pentecost Sunday. We, by the way, are going to be, last week we were in Acts chapter 1. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Two follows one, right? And we're moving into the event of the day of Pentecost. I want to give you a brief history of the Feast of Pentecost. There's been a couple years ago I was preaching on the feasts. And this was one of the feasts and I coincided at where we would be at the Feast of Pentecost as we came to Pentecost Sunday. And the Feast of Pentecost was instituted to remember the giving of the law. This happened out in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula after they had left Egypt and God delivered them under his mighty hand. They had seen ten plagues visited upon the nation. Some of them touched the people of Israel and touched the Egyptian. The later ones only touched the people of Egypt. And the reason was that he was going to make a difference between them and and the people of God, Egypt and, the, and, and Israel. He, and he made the difference, didn't he? Imagine something which takes out only the firstborn amongst men and animals. I believe that you have to have intelligence involved to be able to make the difference, don't you? You have to have some intelligence involved. And this was a miraculous sign that God was with the people of Israel. So, where, how did that come about? How did that deliverance from Egypt come about? God intervened and visited with a man by the name of Moses, and he did so at what kind of a bush? A burning bush. It began with, and you can see it there in the Exodus, the third chapter, there is a burning bush. Then we find later that God has revealed himself at that burning bush. It was not consumed then we see the Shekinah glory of God lighting the way, and we see a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Everybody say fire. Fire. And then they come to Mount Sinai, and we see the mountain on fire. And so we see fire on the mountain. And then when Moses comes down from that mountain with the law of God, which was written upon those tablets, there is a party going on, and they're dancing before a golden calf. And there is then a command given, and the men of the tribe of Levi go through, and they kill 3,000 people who were dancing around that uh, calf and who had disobeyed the Lord and found themselves already going back into idolatry. We make the connection then with fire on the mountain, with the giving of the law, but we also make a connection with 3,000 people being killed because of their disobedience. So we can make this connection. With the giving of the law comes the knowledge of sin, which requires death. Throughout our New Testament, we're constantly hearing this message that we have a better covenant. We have a greater covenant. We have a relationship with God, not one, as we finished up the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews just this week in our devotions and in, and in True Seekers, that we're not brought to the old Mount Sinai with its fire and its fear, 
but we are brought to the heavenly Mount Zion, and we're brought to thousands of angels. We are brought to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our great high priest, Jesus the Christ of God, who ever lives and makes intercession for us. We come no longer with terror or terrifying fear, but we come in love, and we come into grace, and we're changed and transformed by his power. Would you give the Lord a hand clap this morning? Now, a little bit of a a question I want to ask you is, did you know that the original plan... Now, throughout Scripture, we see God's original plan. We see men's disobedience and lack of response, lack of faith. And then we see an adjustment of the plan. Now, how many of you are glad that God adjusts the plan? I am. But how many of you are disappointed with humanity who blows the plan and misses the grace of God? I I want to hit the mark. I don't want to sin and miss the mark. I want to hit the mark and how it would read differently if we could read those scriptures and see this great revelation and men saying, yes, we're for that. We say, yes, we vote and we want to cooperate. We want to participate. We want to obey. We want to align. We want to walk with you. If only Adam and Eve would have done that. If only the people in Noah's day would have done that, it would have read differently. If only the people of Israel had gotten with the plan, and it comes back to that question, did you know that the original plan was to have all of Israel hear the voice of God, everyone from the oldest to the youngest, for all of them to hear the voice of God and see and hear everything that Moses saw and heard on the mountain. God's plan was to come down from that mountain and reveal himself to the people of Israel, not simply to reveal it to one man and entrust it to one man to speak it to the crowd, but he wanted the entire group. He wanted whosoever will. He wanted everyone in all of the tribes without exception to be on the mountain to hear his voice to receive a revelation of his great grace and they themselves then be commissioned as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And did you know that the original plan was to have all of Israel function as a priesthood to the Gentile nations? God's desire has always been to, to, to reach the whole world. His desire is to touch the globe. His desire to take anyone from the uttermost parts of the earth and bring them into connection with himself. This has always been the plan of God, to maximize his grace and salvation and restoration to whosoever will. The problem has always been there's only a few who are are willing to become part of the whosoever will. But the invitation is still the same today. It is whosoever will. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's original plan was for the people of Israel to intersect with him, to encounter his grace, receive a revelation of who he really is, and then become the reaching agency that would fan out across the globe, home-based in Israel, and touch every Gentile in the nations of the sea, and see them come in the knowledge of the Lord, cover the world as the waters cover the sea. That was his plan. But how many of you know that some people voted no? They said, no, not so fast. No, we don't want to cooperate with that. We don't want to participate with that. And so this is the plan. This is the idea that if we have this in the back of our, in our mind and, and in our heart, we can understand as we go into the New Testament accounts what's happening with this idea of the church. This idea of the church. And notice that the original plan was to take 12 tribes or 13, if you want to count Levi and split Joseph's tribe into Ephraim and Manasseh to use those 13 tribes to touch the world. What does Jesus do? He chooses out 12 men, 12 disciples who are willing to say yes. 
and he spends three plus years with them, between three and six years with them. And they walk and they do life together and he teaches them about the kingdom of heaven. And then after that time, he appears to them for 40 days as we looked at last week. And then he is caught up into heaven with an example of the rapture. He's taken up physically into the clouds and then they are given instructions to what? Wait in Jerusalem for that promise. So the first thing we want to look at this morning is alive. Now, the screens might not be alive, and the monitors might not be alive, but you and I are alive here today, right? Alive. Everybody say alive. So Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says this in in, in John chapter 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, more abundantly. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Think about that. His goal was to make dead people alive, separated people connected, people who were not a people and make them a people of God. Take people who were dead in trespasses and sins and make them alive forevermore. He came, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. First John chapter 3 verse number 8 says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. How many of you want to avoid sin now like never before? Because the devil has been sinning, has been missing the mark, has been falling short of the glory of God, has been departing from his intended creation purpose since the beginning. This is what the enemy has chosen. This is what he is doing. And for the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, he's told us in John chapter 10 that the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to have life, and now let me define it for you. I'm going to attack the enemy's position in which he steals, he kills, and he destroys. I'm going to restore. I'm going to bring back to life, and I'm going to build up again. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? What does that define? is making people alive. It's one thing to simply live. And there's a whole lot of people who are simply doing life. They're simply existing. They continue to breathe in and out because their brain is programmed to cause their breath to happen automatically. Just think about that. You don't have to think about that. (laughs) None of you got up this morning and said, oh, I'm just worn out. I've been focused and meditating upon how I need to take in enough oxygen today. How many of you have been on that plan where you needed to drink 120 ounces of water? And you're like, I'm so tired of water. But I've got to down a gallon today, and it seems just impossible. But none of you have ever had this doctor say, okay, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring in more oxygen content this, this next week. So I want you to really focus on breathing No, doctors don't have to do that. Why? Because God's already built that system in. You and I are built to live. And the the natural thing of breathing, we will actually fight like we've never fought before in order to hang on to that natural tendency of breathing in and breathing out. Anything gets in our way, we feel upset because it's about the breath of life. And God breathed into him, and he breathed the breath of life. He became a living soul, a living soul. So this is life. Everybody say life. He has come to make us, to bring us alive. Move from dead in trespasses and sins to alive. So Jesus came that we might have life. Secondly, here's one of our favorite words, await. How many of you just love to hear, wait? How many of you love to sit in a waiting room? How many of you love to listen to music while you're on hold? 
in, in the next few moments, one of our live operators will be right with you. And then it goes on playing some jazz tune or some classical music. And then it interrupts again and says, thank you for holding. One of our attendants will be right with you. And how many of you have done that for 30 minutes? You put it on the speakerphone and go on about your life, just waiting for that to be interrupted and a live human voice come on the line. We often have to wait, but we rarely enjoy it. We have to be given things to pacify us. Do you notice that they play certain styles of music when you're waiting? It's called soothing music. Why? Because we typically get angry when we're put off when we're put on hold, when we have to wait. It's not our favorite thing, but this is something that we need to deal with. Jesus told his disciples, I've promised you someone. I've promised you another comforter, but I need you to go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive that promise. It says on one occasion, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, we looked at this last week. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Where did Jesus speak about it? He spoke about it in the garden. He spoke about it around the time of the Last Supper. He spoke about it time after time after time. You find him from John 11 right on through talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the other comforter, the one I told you about. I must go away. And if I go away, I will, two things, send you another comforter, and secondly, I will doubtless come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am there you may be also. Amen. Isn't that great news? But in between the bookends of the ascension of Jesus into heaven and the return of Jesus physically to the earth to rule and reign for a thousand years, in between that time, we need his help. Amen. We need somebody to come alongside of us and mentor us, coach us, Speak into our ear, whisper to us, calm our heart, confront us over sin, show us where we're missing the mark. And and he is there as a friend that sticks closer than any brother. He speaks words to us as a faithful brother that at times wound us and hurt our spirit because we know he's correcting us. He's rebuking us. He's bringing us into the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He knows the road. Amen. And we don't. And we need to lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledge him. And what will he do? He'll make our paths straight. The Holy Spirit knows the way. And in order to connect with the Holy Spirit, here's what we need to do. Our favorite thing, wait. Wait. But let me tell you something. Waiting is more fun with the group. Here you are this morning with Vision Church, the people of Vision Church. This is a fine group of people to be waiting on the Lord with. Because this is a group of people that will encourage you while you're in the waiting room. They will build you up with words while you're waiting in the waiting room. Here's what happens when you get with a group of people in the waiting room. You find a shared goal. What's the shared goal? To get in there and see that doctor, that dentist, even though we don't really want to see the dentist. But we have a shared goal, and it's typically get rid of the pain, find out what it is that's going on, get some answers, get a prognosis, get something to move from where it is to where it needs to be. We need some outside help, and so we're there in the waiting room, and it gives us a shared goal. Frankly, everybody in that room wants to get seen as quick as possible and leave. Amen? But what do they do with waiting rooms? They decorate them. Make them hopefully as pleasant and comfortable as possible. Why? Because they know even though they promised you have a five-minute wait, it's an hour and five minutes. Everybody knows this. You also have shared pain. You're sitting in that room. If it's a dentist's office, there's varying levels and times and types of pain, discomfort, and problems that people are trying to deal with. If it's in a surgical uh, 
evaluation place, if it's in an orthopedics office, wherever it is, somebody is there because people have shared pain, shared problem, shared difficulty. Here's another beautiful thing about the church. We have shared forgiveness. Isn't that powerful? Jesus said, as freely you've received, freely give. He says, if you will forgive people their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will forgive you yours. Isn't that powerful? It's amazing. Forgiveness is intended to be shared. And so he says, in whatever measure you forgive, I'll forgive you. How many of you want to move into the mode of freely and completely forgiving people? Because you and I both know in this waiting room that we need forgiveness. We need something to happen in the area of forgiveness. Not only that, but shared understanding. People who are hurting tend to understand other people who are hurting. People who are encountering difficulty tend to have sympathy just out of that experience with other people that are sitting in the room. They don't tend to look at each other and say, what's wrong with you? Oh, quit your belly aching. You don't typically don't hear that in a waiting room. But you do hear a lot of sympathy, and sometimes you hear other people trying to diagnose your issue. Right? Oh, well, I had a cousin that had that one time. I don't know why you're here. Here's what you need to do. You need to go down here and get this vitamin and that, and you need to rub this on you and do that, and you'll be fine. Well, there's a lot of advice being handed out in that waiting room. Some of it possibly is accurate, but if nothing else, people get this. We share our understanding. We have a sympathy for each other, and we understand our plight and our predicament. And then we have shared resources. Do you ever see people sitting there and saying, Excuse me, to a total stranger, does anybody have a piece of gum? Now, since COVID-19, maybe it's different. Uh, Man, uh, does anybody have any mints? And the total stranger, well, I do here. And you hope they're not digging it out of a grimy pocket, you know, and the foil's kind of off. Yeah, it's a few lifesavers that escape the foil wrap. Here's one. Here, Excuse the pocket fuzz. Uh, But it's interesting that people will share their resources. Oh, you know what? I need to make a call. My phone's dead. Oh, here's the charger. You can charge it up. Oh, here, you can use my phone. Just give them a call. And people, when that situation comes around, they share their resources. What do you think happened for that 10 days when these disciples who had difficulty getting along with each other on the road with Jesus, who constantly fought amongst themselves as to who was greater, that thought they were doing a big thing if they forgave somebody seven times seven, Peter. What happens when you sit in a waiting room for 10 days with 120 other people that have been following Jesus for three to six years? I think some of your difficulties and disagreements tend to be dealt with. We need to embrace the weight Because when we embrace the wait, the Scripture tells us that those that wait upon the Lord will what? Renew their strength, and they will mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Isn't that powerful? There's power in waiting. We don't like it. We don't sign up for it. We we want to avoid it. But what does Jesus know in his great wisdom? I'm going to send another comforter, and it's not going to be in the next five minutes after I've disappeared into the clouds. After my rapture event from the earth and my ascension, how many of you wish it would have read, and in five minutes the Holy Spirit came? Or as Jesus was caught up into the heavens... A fire swept upon those disciples, and they spoke with other tongues, and so on and so forth. And we took Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and pasted it right in, in verse number 4. No, no. didn't happen that way. What did Jesus know these boys needed? They needed to wait. They needed to sit beside each other in a room for 120 days. They needed to work through some issues. And how many of you know we all have issues? (laughs) The waiting room is a perfect place to work through the issues. It's the perfect place as you sit there that it brings unity. It brings a sense of shared purpose and shared destiny. And those differences begin to go to the wayside and the similarities begin to... to, And there's a camaraderie that's built and there's a unity that's built. How many of you have ever been in a waiting room so long with some people you felt like you made a lifelong friend? Yeah. We've been here for four hours together. 
This person I didn't even know, I, I struck up a conversation with them, and we feel like we've known each other all of our lives, even though it's been four hours. When you wait together, try get waiting for five hours for a windshield to be replaced. You get to know the people sitting with you in the waiting room. You begin to strike up a conversation, and you know you, you burn through that, and you finish that game on your phone, and well, how's it come to this? We have to deal with each other personally. Wow. Await. And so Jesus prescribed for his disciples something. He says, you need to await that promise from on high. God is not desiring to cause us to wait because he's fickle. But he knows something that waiting often prepares us to receive that which he has ready to leave and release. It's there spring-loaded. God is not holding it back because he is fickle. God has it there, and he knows that waiting puts us in the position for the desire and the desperation and the hunger and the want so that our faith is activated, we connect to his promise, we connect to his grace, and then we receive that grace that has been poured out for us and available at any second, any moment. But what has put us into that moment? waiting. Everybody say wait. Oh, our favorite word. If we're going to receive anything from the Lord, that's part of it. We have to await. Alive? First, you have to be alive. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, this is a perfect day to become alive. You come to he who is life, he who is the resurrection and the life, and say, Lord, I heard that if I will believe that God raised you from the dead and that you died for my sin... God raised you from the dead as proof that my sins are forgiven, and I would just place my faith in you. I would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I would confess him as the Lord and Savior of my life. I would submit myself to you as the captain of my destiny, that I, you would walk me into salvation, that I could call upon the name of the Lord and become saved. Isn't that the truth and the essence of the gospel? The great news for us in this room and anybody that's observing by way of video that this is an opportunity to be born again, to come alive. Jesus says, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. But here's something else that needs to happen after you're born again. You need to wait upon the Lord. What we do when we get tired of waiting is go out and try to do our will. We have a choice between waiting on the Lord and getting his will, his plan, or moving right now and at doing it our way. Frank Sinatra might have sung about it. It might be the most requested song in the funeral homes of the United States of America, but that song is banned in heaven. It's not about doing it my way. It's about doing it his way. It's about waiting upon the Lord. Then I can renew my strength and I can mount up with wings as eagles. I can run and not be weary. I can walk and not faint. The song says it this way at the tail end. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Help me, Lord, to hang in there just a little bit longer and not trust my own understanding, not lean to my own understanding, but find a way to acknowledge you in all of my ways. And then you can make my path straight. Number three ablaze. Now we get to the favorite part of Pentecost, and that's fire. You know, if a building's burning, everybody will stop to watch it burn. If a vehicle's on fire along the highway, people are rescued, everything's fine, but the vehicle is burning down, the tires are burning, everything's going up, people will slow down. In Illinois, it's called a gaper stopper. They call it a brake tap slowdown or onlooker people are rubbernecking they're what 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 is that what's going on there something that often distracts people going down 820 is they don't realize we have a fire training academy just there by the school tarrant county college or uh, community college or whatever it's now called used to be a juco now it's community college at tcc at the northwest campus and there there is a fire tower And so every once in a while, they light that baby up. Black smoke billows up, and you can see it all the way from Ridgemar Mall and over there. All the way from our house over there at Chapel Creek and I-30 on the west side of Fort Worth. And and what happened? Immediately, a plane must have crashed. Wow, there must be like a whole field on fire. And then you say, no, that's the fire academy. 
What's even more fun is trying to land at DFW. You're riding there along as a, a patient passenger in an aircraft, and they choose that day as you're on approach to light up the fire tower by DFW. Oh, my goodness. What happened? Did a plane go in? What in the world? No, it's okay, folks. Nothing to see here. That's the DFW Fire Academy, and they just chose this moment. They have to. There's constant traffic to be training some of their firemen that work at DFW Airport. They just they just fired up the tower. When fire happens, smoke tells us there's fire. If you see smoke, there's fire. There's something about fire that will bring people from all around to watch what's going on. It's a demonstration of power. It brought Moses to see a burning bush. It struck fear in the hearts of Israel as they looked up on a mountain and saw that fire, which symbolized the power and the presence of God. And it says in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Violent wind. How many of you are impressed by the sound of violent wind? No, I grab a mattress and get in the bathtub. We know what that means in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and other places. Wow, a violent wind. It came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I think this expresses how intently the Holy Spirit wanted to arrive on the scene and how desperately we need him to be here. Jesus tried to convey that when he said, I must go away. It's important, it's imperative, guys, that I leave. Because when I leave, I'll send the other comforter, and he will not just accompany you on a road. And manage 12 of you, and it's pretty tough to manage 120 of you, but he will be with you and he will be in you. And he will take everything that the Father has given me and he will reveal it to you. And he'll become your partner. He'll become your confidant. He'll become your friend. He'll become your teacher. He'll come alongside you and he'll teach you how to walk just like I did. He'll teach you and anoint you to do things that you never had an idea you could do, but you will be enabled by his presence and his power to do it. I will put a wind upon you. I'll put a fire in you. You'll not only be alive, but you're going to look more and more like me every day in the power and the anointing of the Spirit. Would you give him a hand clap this morning? Now notice this, that not only was there a wind, that sound of the breath of God, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Don't you like the idea of each of them? You know, God's idea the whole time along was to take men and use each of them. His idea was to take Israel and take all one point something million of them, give them a great revelation of himself, and then use each of them. It didn't matter if they were in the tribe of Judah or Simeon or Levi or Reuben or Issachar or Naphtali. It didn't matter whether the greatest tribe most populated or the smallest tribe like Benjamin and least populated. It didn't matter the birth order that they were born to Jacob and one of his two wives or two concubines. Didn't matter if they were a son or a daughter. It didn't matter. He wanted to take them all old and young great and small, leaders of tribes and the least in the tribes, and he wanted to bring them into his presence, and he wanted to reveal to them the glory of heaven and the power of his coming plan and the power of the Messiah that was going to come in his promise, and he wanted every one of them to have a revelation of that, each of them. Isn't that powerful? It's right there in the Word. It's one of the laments of God that they would not... I don't know about you, but I want to sit here and wave my hands before that same God and say, I will pick me. I want to be in on that. He says, pick you. How about if I invite everybody? I'm the great God, Jehovah, the creator of all things. And I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And not only that, but I want to bring them into everything that I have laid up for you. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered to the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. But he has, re- he has revealed it to us by who? His Spirit. Wow. What a day of Pentecost should be a day of great celebration and great anticipation. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them. Say all. All of them. That means all of them. That means without exception. 
That means across every class, male and female, great and small, walking with Jesus for years or walking with Jesus for minutes, all of them were what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. I like that. Not half filled, not quarter filled, not touched, not lightly breathed upon. But that violent wind, that life of God came storming into that room and each one of them had a tongue of fire over their forehead. This is not the Mount Sinai that had fire upon it and they were distant, but each one of them, as it were, became Mount Sinai's. But actually, this says this, each one of them became a tabernacle of God. The very same Shekinah glory of God that rested upon the tabernacle in the wilderness that seemed so exclusive and reserved to one tribe, the tribe of Levi, that now God is making a declaration and it sounds like this. Finally, I have been waiting for millennia for this. And that whosoever will may come. And that I can declare them a son and a daughter of God. And I can place my inestimable, powerful spirit upon them. And they can be anointed with my spirit. They can faithfully represent me as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? Wow. This is why Pentecost is so exciting. This is why it's so pivotal for the life of the believer that it's more than being born again. The grace of God accomplishes this. The work of the Holy Spirit accomplishes this in humanity because of the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. But don't you know that Jesus loves to give pressed down, shaken together, and running over? I want to come to the day of Pentecost and say, Lord, I want everything that you're offering. That doesn't make me a grasper. That doesn't make me somebody who is out of line. I need to apologize. He has got all of this grace available, and all we have to do is be born again, come into a place of waiting upon the Lord and realigning with his principles, not ours. And the disciples did that for 10 days. And don't you know they needed that even after three-plus years with Jesus? They needed it. Because they kept trying to do their agenda rather than God's. But now the power of the Holy Spirit is upon them, and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Isn't that powerful? They, who? All. Women, men, young women, older men, younger men, older women. It didn't matter. In fact, Jesus' own mother was there. And Mary, who gave birth to Jesus needed and desired everything that God had for her. And though she had known what it was like to have a prophetic moment and a temporary adorning of the Holy Spirit, which brought life into her womb, and what it was like to be anointed by the Holy Spirit to prophesy as recorded in Scripture, this was something that seemed to come and go. But now something powerful has even happened in Mary's life. She has come and she has been baptized and anointed with the same Holy Spirit that had come upon her to bring life to Jesus and had brought miraculous power into the life of her son. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? We're not messing around and we're not talking about second best, third best, or fourth best. And how many of you could make the argument that you'd even take God's fourth best? Because God's fourth best is about a thousand times better than anything we can think of. But that's not what he's done. He's offered to us the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The very same spirit that anointed Jesus and he went about doing good for God was with him. He has offered to all believers. The requirement, first of all, is that you be a believer. That you be born again. That you come in faith in Jesus and his sacrifice upon the cross. But now, wait, there's more. There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit that is available to every, every believer, every person of faith who has placed their faith in Jesus, the Christ of God. And here's what we wrap this up with. And in just a moment, the musicians are going to come. Some of you are wondering, is he going to go like an hour and a half? What in the world's going on? He got up there earlier today. Here's what's going to happen. In just a moment or two, I'm going to finish and the group's going to come back and they're going to lead us in focus of worship upon the Holy Spirit. 
and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what are we going to do during that time? If anybody in this room's never been born again, this will be your moment on this Pentecost Sunday to say, hey, I want to be alive. There's going to be others who say, you know what? I've been trying to do my own plan, and I haven't been forgiving, and I have some broken relationship, and I have some issues that I need to straighten out. And you're going to be able to have take t- time over these next minutes when they sing, and you're going to be able to, to, to wait upon the Lord. You're not going to come forward for laying hands on you or prayer. You're going to get in the presence of God and say, Lord, teach me to wait. Help me to wait upon you. Help me to focus in upon your agenda rather than my agenda. It can be a time for soul searching for that transition. And then thirdly, we're going to ask this. Some of us are sitting here, Pastor, I've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but you leak. You need to be continuously filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? You need a fresh dunking every once in a while. You need a refilling. You need a a refreshing. You need that anointing of the Holy Spirit to come and restore and repair in that waiting time and then expand and fill afresh and anew. He wants to open up a new frontier in you, and I'll guarantee you what that frontier needs, a filling. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? And then we come in with this final point, effect, A-F-F-E-C-T. Now, there's two ways. There's two words, effect and affect. These people were affected, and then they became effective. But in order to become effective, you first of all need to be affected. One of the great risks of religion is that people want to put it in their head and say, yeah, I know about that. But what a danger. The Pharisees did that. The Sadducees did that. The religious leaders did that. Herod did that. There were thousands, millions of people who did that. And when they did that, they always voted no against God. But it was the people who said, forget just knowing about it. I want to experience it. I want to receive it. I want there be a, a mark of change in my life. I want to be not knowing about the power of God. I want to be affected by the power of God. People who are lame need to be affected by the power of God. People who are deaf need to be affected by the power of God. People who are sluggish in their spirit need to be affected by the power of God. They need to move from simply knowing about something into experiencing it for themselves and saying, come on in, the water's great. I now have an experience because I have been affected. I can now become effective for Jesus because I, first of all, have become affected by his death, burial, and resurrection. I've been born again. I have awaited. I've waited upon the Lord. I have realized this. I need to be ablaze. I need to be ablaze. And so I'm going to move into this effect. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from all, every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, when they heard this sound, what was the sound? 120 people praying in the Holy Spirit and prophesying and getting a little unruly, getting a little bit loud for nine in the morning. You know, you, you party and have a good time 10 at night, get the neighbors calling the police on you. But nobody does it at nine in the morning. And here they are making quite an, a, a commotion. Why? Because they were affected. The church becomes heard when the church becomes affected. Believers can be heard when believers become affected. The world can be transformed and changed by somebody who is affected by the Spirit of God. The nations of Israel had been happy to know about the Spirit of God, but they had spent a millennia plus refusing to be affected by the Spirit of God. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Don't you know that's God? That he can separate the firstborn from the otherborn in a family and amongst the animals? But he could also do a work where unbelieving Jews, skeptical Jews who were gathered in for the festival of Pentecost celebrating the giving of the law, 
would witness a group of people so powerfully affected by the same Spirit of God that Galileans who spoke with the twang and said, all y'all, would actually be able to speak the language from the country that they had lived for hundreds of years with the local accent. That's amazing. Now, we have actors and actresses. It's amazing when they pull this off. Aussie, Australian actors. Don't they have enough Australian films to act in? No. They come to the United States, and they play a role. And when they get done, you're saying, well, that guy's a cowboy. He talks like this and everything. I can understand him. And then you find out that really he talks like this. Hey, mate, good day. And you're like, what? And it's amazing. It just gets people's attention. When American actors and actresses go to Great Britain, and the Brits are saying, aren't there enough of our own fine actors that were trained in Shakespeare? They, they couldn't do this. And more, uh, Robert Downey Jr. or somebody goes and plays Sherlock Holmes, the great British character. And he talks with a posh accent like this. And people say, remarkable. He sounds really believable. What, what does that do? It makes people just go, wow. God gave them a big double take. He took Galilean fishermen, anointed them with the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in a language they'd never heard before in their life, not around the shores of Galilee. And now these people say, how is it we can hear them? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, North Africa, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome who speak Latin, both Jews and converts to Judaism, from the islands of, of Crete and Arabs over in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, where is the original Mount Sinai. We hear them declaring the wonders of God. They think they're speaking gibberish. But the other people are hearing about the wonders of God. It's a sign. Amazed and perplexed, they ask each other, what does this mean? How many of you know that the world needs to be stirred to ask a question? What does this mean? This is curious. What's going on there? We don't understand it, but it's like a burning bush. It's worth a second look. Those people affected their world. They affected their religious world. They affected their society. They affected multiple societies. Why? Because they dared to come alive, to await, to become ablaze, and allow God to make them affect their world. We have that opportunity to not only mark, commemorate, and celebrate the day of Pentecost, we have an opportunity this morning to sit before the Lord as the team comes to lead us in worship just two songs. And as they do, here's our assignment. Are you ready? Where are you? You need to be born again. Get that right with him. Make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Do you need to wait upon the Lord? And sometimes that means turn away from your agenda. It always means that. And come to God's agenda to submit to the difficulty of the wait. They had to do it for 10 days. A fulfillment. Sounds like the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? And they did it for 10 days. Do you need to be set ablaze again? Or do you need the fire to be lit in you for the first time? Have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? If you haven't, in this time right here, God has poured out of His Spirit. We don't have to ask Him to send Him. We simply have to align and receive Him. And here's what can happen. You, my friend, can become effective. And Vision Church can move into a new realm of affecting Lake Worth, affecting our neighborhood, affecting the people we're around. We become effective when we allow ourselves to become affected by the grace of God. As my wife comes and we move into a time of worship, let's get into that zone and invite and prepare the Holy Spirit to come in a powerful way in our lives this morning alive I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly await our favorite function that those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength ablaze a 
ablaze. Is your wood wet? Feel like there's just some struggling embers? Affect. How are you affecting your family? How are you affecting your environment? How are you affecting those places where you visit? How are we affecting as a church when we come together? How are we affecting our community? He has a fresh feeling. He has a new fire. He has an increased passion. He can infuse you with the breath of heaven, and he can place that fire back at his roaring best in your life. And he's willing to do it if we'll allow him, and then we'll affect. It's the power of Pentecost. It's never changed. That's the power of the church. It's the power of Pentecost. It's the power of the Spirit expressed in the individual vessel. So, Lord, we just thank you. You have called us to be alive, to await, to be ablaze, and to affect. And we can do none of those things without you. (laughs) We align with you. Lord, you're maybe just starting a work in somebody today by them becoming born again. You may be returning somebody to a sweetness of spirit. They've allowed unforgiveness and broken relationships to intrude, and it's blocked the fire, and it's blocked the breath of the spirit. Lord, I pray that all those things be exposed and thrown down by your wonderful grace and powerful forgiveness. Lord, relight our fire. Ignite us with a fresh passion. Lord, we we make place for that today. We need a rekindling, a refiring, a refreshing of your breath and of your fire. And Lord, we need to affect this world. We need to affect our world. We need to affect our world of employment, our world of influence, our world of family, our world of faith, our world, a world of friends. And we need that fresh fire to do it. We call upon you. We align ourselves. We ask you, Holy Spirit, would you come and do it again in my life? Would you renew it again in my life? Would you refresh it again in my life? And may we come together and be a more powerful church than ever before, allowing your effect upon our lives, upon this community, and bringing glory and honor and praise to the glorious name of Jesus, the Christ of God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen and amen. Amen. Isn't this a great Pentecost Sunday? Great Pentecost Sunday. The Lord bless you. May his grace and peace be upon you as you go forth in that journey and continue becoming alive, awaiting, ablaze, and effective by the grace of the Lord Jesus. The Lord bless you.